0: On today's show, I'm going to look at some records that are likely to be broken for the Denver Nuggets in the 2023-24 season. I'm going to talk about the Jokic-Murray duo and why Bleacher Report ranking them third is sort of a paradox or a contradiction to one of the common refrains we hear about the Nuggets. And then lastly, Jamal Murray looks like he might not play for Team Canada. I want to talk about that all and more on today's episode of Locked on Nuggets. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody, and welcome to Locked On Nuggets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, and we appreciate you making us your first listen. I'm Adam Matas from DNBR, and I'm flying solo today, you know, over the offseason, I'll be solo in the midweek. Matt Moore will be rounding out the week. He's got a special guest, Vic Lombardi. He'll be recording that on Thursday night. So look forward to that one. I got you for the midweek here. And I want to talk, I got a couple fun ones, peak off season content for you. Looking at some records that are within you know range for the Denver Nuggets this year. I think this will be kind of a fun thing to track throughout the year to kind of keep an eye on. The first one, because there's so many here, I want to kind of get right into it. The first one, Jamal Murray is just 64 games away from tying Fat Lever for the 10th most games as a Denver Nugget. So 64 games, I would call this one likely for Jamal Murray to play. Um, Probably 60%, 65% chance that he plays at least in 64 games. So that means him becoming a top 10 all-time Nugget in games played. I think this one is kind of cool. Murray, Jamal Murray, to me, is solidified as an all-time Nugget. I think that's indisputable. But when you look at the players in the Nuggets franchise history that are in that top 10, they're almost all all all-time Nuggets. He will pass, almost certainly, David Thompson, one of the quintessential Denver Nuggets, Ty Lawson, who was here for, you know, spanning a couple different eras, Reggie Williams, Mike Evans, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Kenneth Fareed, And Andre Miller and Bryant Stith. There is a chance he could pass all of those guys and move into 10th, which I just think would be a really, really cool thing for him. He's also only 20 made field goals away from entering the top 10 Denver Nuggets all-time in field goals made. So this one almost certainly happened, probably in two games or two or three games. And I think that's another cool one. I mean, Murray's an all-time scorer, so he'll join another list of all-time great Nugget scores. And I just like this personally, because there's some records where like Will Barton or Gary Harris sit just outside the top 10 and anybody that has seen inside the Denver Nuggets practice facility knows that there is a wall that features all of the top 10 in every category, points, rebounds, assists, three pointers made, that kind of thing. And there's players that come up just shy of that and will never get on or players that get on and are quickly bumped off. Jamal Murray is one of those guys that I want his name to sit inside the halls of ball arena for for years and years to come. So 20 field goals away from being top 10. And I think he'll climb even higher. He's 34 assists away from being top 10 in Denver Nuggets franchise history. And he has it. So he'll certainly do that 34. That's probably six games, maybe five games. And he'll probably climb as high as six next year. So he'll pass Carmelo Anthony, Mahmoud abdul Rauf, Bill Hanslick, Dan Issel, Nick Van Exel, and Michael Adams. He could pass all of those guys and go from outside the top 10 all the way up to sixth. It'd probably take him another year to break into the top five. But to be top 10 and firmly at number six by the end of next season, I think, would be another cool thing for, you know, when we think about Denver Nuggets point guards, Jamal Murray, I think, will be the first guy you think of in years to come. Like right now, you might still think of a Fat Lever or even a Chauncey Billups, Um But I think, you know, obviously he belongs in that spot and it'll be cool to see him on the assist ladder. Jokic, of course, number one. Um, He's 1,100 points away from sixth all time, which is pretty cool. Passing Mahmoud abdul Rauf and Fat Lever this year, sixth in points. And then he'll trail only, I love this, he'll only trail Alex English, Dan Issel, Carmelo Anthony, Jokic, and David Thompson. You make Murray in there, you can make a case that that's the six best nuggets of all time and they would all be 1 through 6 in that list which i think is really cool. Here's one that i really love. This might be my favorite one. Murray is just 6 playoff games away from being second all-time in playoff games played in Nuggets history. This one is kind of crazy, man. 6th 6 playoff games, basically make it out the first round, you're you know, you're guaranteed to be second all-time In playoff games played, Jokic already number one. Michael Porter Jr. is only 10 playoff games away from being number three all time. And then here's a crazier one Aaron Gordon is only 10 playoff games away from being in the top 10 and 24 away from being number four all time. 24, Denver played 20 games this year and went 16 and four. 16 and eight, that's probably around average for if you win the title, you usually go about 16 and eight, 16 and seven. So there is a chance that if Denver wins the title next year, the most playoff games in Denver Nuggets history will go Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon, which would be really, really cool. And then lastly for Murray, he's 216 playoff points away from number two all time. Jokic number one already. Him being number two in points would just also be really cool. I think those guys belong there as number one and number two. And that would be a cool, a cool thing to happen. 216, again, if they win the title, he'll get it. Michael Porter Jr., he is 18 threes away from being top 10 in Denver Nuggets history and three-point field goals made. He would has an outside shot of catching Gary Harris and climbing all the way up to sixth. Um, I think he'll certainly obviously get 18 away. He'll certainly be in the top 10. For Michael Porter, that's like maybe five games, probably five games or so, five or six games. Um, but he, to go all the way up to 6 he he'll pass Dale Ellis, who, by the way, Dale Ellis, he got almost all of his threes with the Nuggets in that those seasons where the three point line was shortened a little bit wonky. Chauncey Billups, Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, and Gary Harris. Michael Porter doing this, by the way, getting up to sixth. If he were to do it next year, would effectively be in four seasons. Would be absolutely absurd. The rate he is making catching up on the all time Nuggets three point shooting list is pretty crazy. Um, and then some individual ones for for Michael Porter. He was just four threes shy of being number one in three-point field goals made in a season. He was so close to getting, remember we were kind of counting it down at the end thinking he could do it. Two years in a row now he's been right there. Jamal Murray was just 20 shy. Both of those guys shot the ball well, played a lot of games. Will they pass next year? That'll be a fun thing to kind of track throughout the season. There really is a chance that one or both of those guys set a single season record for threes made. You think about Michael Porter this year, he was very good. We think he might even have another step in him, might shoot even a little bit better. So just coming up four shy of the single season record, he's right there. Jokic, he's 357 rebounds away from passing Dan Issel for number one. You might be recall, you might recall that earlier this season he was awarded number one in Denver Nuggets NBA franchise history. But of course, Dan Issel is number one when you combine the ABA and the NBA, but only by 357 rebounds. So in the regular season, Jokic almost certainly catches Dan Issel this year and becomes number one in assist and number one in rebounds, which would be very cool. He's three blocks away from entering the top 10, which is kind of cool. Jokic will go down as a top 10 blocksman in all of uh, Denver Nuggets history. There's a chance he'll catch Melo this year in points. He's 1,916 points behind. He's only done that once in his career. It was Two seasons ago, not this last year, but the year before where he had over 2,000 points. He's usually somewhere right between sixteen and 1,800 points. So he'll probably come up just a little bit um, behind Mellow overall in points. He will, however, have done it in significantly fewer minutes and significantly fewer field goal attempts. But there's a chance he'll catch Mello as a scorer. Um, which would just be kind of cool. He's 0.3 win shares away from being number one in Nuggets history. He'll do that in the first game or second game. It won't take more than two games before Jokic will become the all-time leader in win shares, advanced stats king. He's only passing guys. that I think it's Dan Issel who's like played twice as many games as as him. He's 42 assists away last year from the single-season record. He was fourth. It makes you wonder. He was 9.8 assists per game, played 70-something games, is there a chance he breaks the record this upcoming year in averages, you know, 11 assists, plays the same amount of games and breaks the record. That's about what it would take, 10 and a half assists a game at the number of games he played roughly in there. Could he do it? It would be a cool little feather to have in his cap. Um he's two triple doubles away from most in a season. This is actually in um let's see Two triple doubles away from most in a season. I don't. I think I might have got this one wrong. 13 away from most all time. He had 19 in, oh yeah, that's 13, 13 away from the most of any player in one season, which goes to Russell Westbrook. He had 29, 42 is the record. So he had 13, then he had 16, then he had 19, and then last year 29. I'm sorry, yeah, 19 and then 29. So he made a 10 triple double leap last year. I don't think he's going to get more than that next year. There is always a chance. There's always a chance it happens, but my guess is he's probably somewhere around 29 again, which means he'll still be just a little bit shy, but he'll probably go all the way up to um, third. He's two triple doubles away from fourth all time. LeBron James and Jason Kidd are both ahead of him. He's 33 triple doubles away from Magic Johnson at third. Again, 29 last year. 33 is within range. Unrealistic, but there is a chance that Jokic next year, if he gets 34 triple doubles, will pass Magic uh, Magic Johnson and be third all-time. He'll likely finish next year with the highest PER of all time, career PER. He's right now percentage points behind Michael Jordan at 27 and something, but he's averaged over 30 for the last few games, so that will drag his average up. So there's a very good chance by the end of next year, him he will have that record. Now, I know that Joel Embiid, I think, has a higher PER than him, but doesn't qualify for minutes. He probably will next year. So those two can battle that out. And then he'll likely finish the year top 100 in NBA history in assists, which is cool considering his career has plenty of time ahead of him. To be in the top 100, I think, would be pretty cool. Um, Michael Malone, he's 56 regular season wins away from tying George Carl. Now, why is this number so perfect? 56 wins. George Carl famously has the record for 57 wins, 2013, 57 wins, the most in franchise history, and he owns claim to that. So if the Nuggets win 57 or 58 wins next year, Michael Malone will pass two of George Carl's records, overall regular season wins and single season, which would be pretty cool. And then he's only 65. I don't think the Nuggets are winning 66 games next year, but you never know. He is 65 wins away from passing Doug Moe as the winningest coach in Denver Nuggets history. So on the horizon for Michael Malone, certainly will do it if he's here for two more seasons, which I think is very likely, but an outside shot that he passes one or both of those guys next year. And then I like this one, but KCP and Aaron Gordon are 35 playoff threes away. That's a lot. I think they each got 30. I think they had 30 and 35 respectively this year or somewhere, somewhere close to that. 35, if they both made 35 threes in the playoffs next year, the top five three-point makers in Denver Nuggets playoff history will be Murray, MPJ, Jokic, Gordon, and KCP, which would be really cool if the Nuggets is starting five. Basically, in two years, all own the top five in uh, three-pointers. I thought that was cool. I thought those are some cool stats. Jokic and Murray are going to be the... um, you know They're going to go down as number one and number two. I really think they have a great chance to go down as number one and number two Nuggets of all time. And Murray continuing to, to enter his name in all of these different places in the record books would go a long way to that. So write those down, jot those down. Those will be fun to, to track as the season goes on. I want to tell you guys about FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. That's a really cool promo. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash Time, Take some time to visit FanDuel. Include money lines, props, and et cetera. All right back here segment two locked on nuggets as some of you probably know if you're extra online but probably don't know if you are not online especially on social media all the time that today there was an article by somebody at bleacher report who i've never heard of who was ranking the best duos in the nba and had Jokic and murray third behind kevin durant and devin booker who who was number one who by the way the nuggets beat in the playoffs this year pretty handedly and Giannis and Drew Holiday, which is a very curious combo. Number one, that team got bounced in the first round this year. And number two, I don't know that anybody thinks of those two guys as a duo. Now, Jokic and Murray being number three is in a weird way, both insulting that they weren't number one coming off of a championship when I think there's obviously such a great duo, but also by that logic, putting Jan, Giannis and Drew and then Katie, it is interesting that they came in third. This, it's such a weird spot for them to be in. But I was thinking about it. You know, everybody loves to get up in arms over this kind of thing. And for me, I think it's fun to talk about. I actually think it's fun because the Nuggets as underdogs are underappreciated. It's just much more fun. It's more fun for them to be that than to be the team that everybody just thinks is too good or, you know, they get all the accolades and don't get a chip on the shoulder. I think this is like this offseason has provided plenty of chips on the shoulder. But what I found especially interesting about this one is that it creates this sort of narrative paradox for the Nuggets. And what I mean by that is, up until this year, up until this playoff year, in fact, if we rewind the clock only till mid April, we'll remember that the knock on Jokic was in the regular season, he was great, but in the playoffs, he didn't see success. And that lack of playoff success, perceived success, which was exaggerated given that he'd been to the conference finals and had played well and had, you know, statistically put up some numbers we've never seen in the playoffs. But that aside, the winning. He didn't have the like championship wins or even conference finals, just one conference finals game win prior to this year. So they would say that erases what he did in the in the regular season, or at the very least, it weighs it down. But the paradox is the reason, the rationale for why Jokic and Murray aren't the top was nothing about what they are collectively. It was about individually, Jokic is an MVP, but Murray is only a great playoff performer in the regular season. He's a non All Star. He's below that threshold. So the paradox is that Jokic's perceived lack of playoff success weighed down his regular season to where we average those down to say, what is Jokic? But yet Murray's playoff success is weighed down by his regular season saying, no, but his regular season is the thing that actually tells you about Murray. So Jokic prior to this year, his playoffs were the real Jokic where his stats don't matter. They don't impact winning. But Murray, even coming off of a finals where he dropped a 30-point triple-double, where he'd had so many impressive games, averaged 10 assists, scored 30 points, dominated some of the top players, that is not the real Murray. The real Murray is the regular season one. So if you're counting at home, regular season Jokic, not the real Jokic. Regular season Murray, the the real Murray. Playoff Murray, not the real Murray. Prior to this year, playoff Jokic, the real Jokic. It's a weird paradox that people are using for this one. But what I found even more interesting is the remarkable thing about the Jokic-Murray duo is the way that they share a brain. There are few players or few duos in history that have that level of chemistry that those two have. When we talk about duos, it's not always the sum of two individual parts, although I do think it's fair to like, you know, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, do they make each other better? They're two-man chemistry between them, some. But for the most part, they're just two really good players. And when they're both on the court, you know, it makes things difficult. But Jokic and Murray are a rare example where KD and Booker might be two 10s that add up to equal an 18. Jokic and Murray are like a 10 and an eight that add up to be 25. They somehow augment each other's skill set. And chemistry to me is one of the most underrated things about basketball, not just in a what actually works on impact, but also what is interesting about the game of basketball. It's not an individual sport, it's a team sport, but it's like this rushing nesting doll of of intrigue. There's how good are you as an individual? How good are you with one other player, the two-man games or the the three-man games or whatever it is you create there? And then how good are you as a collective? Five guys at one time. And then even if you go even further than that, it's really about how good are you with your top nine guys or whoever it is that plays in a rotation? How do all of those pieces fit together? But for some reason, when we rank individual players, we're also we're often thinking about how good are these guys as one-on-one players or one-part one players. But then when you say duos, we're almost acknowledging that it's a team game, but yet still rating these guys as individuals, not as what they are collectively. This is why I found that article so in that ranking so incredible, so interesting, and why I thought putting them third was almost a cop-out. You either are going to put them number one in the sense that I would see this as their duos. The two of them together, what does it make? Does it make something greater than their individual talents, and how high is their baseline of individual talents to begin with? Jokic and Murray's individual baseline of talent is super high, maybe not as high as a KD and a Booker, but still super high. Also, maybe it is, probably, maybe, but they're together clearly go higher than everyone else. There are limitations in basketball to individual brilliance. And that's part of the appeal. That's part of what I love about the game so much. It is such a perfect and ambiguous mixture of individual brilliance, yet reliance on the team. And the duo of Jokic and Murray is what makes them so compelling and makes them so interesting. But my bar for Jokic and Murray is so much higher than best current duo. I think, and I've said this before, we'll have to let the cards play out. We'll have to see. But to me, Jokic and Murray with a championship now have proven that they are this great duo, 16 and four, proven that they can dominate all these other teams. Now, they their next stop is to become a duo that defines a generation. If we go back in time over the last 25 years, the only two duos I really think about would be Kobe and Shaq, no question. They're the, the best duo probably of the last 25 years. And then you think of guys maybe like a, a Tony Parker and a Tim Duncan, although I think Manu Ginobili made more of a three-headed monster there. You think of them more like Giannis and Drew. Wade and LeBron in Miami, but they were more like a KD and Booker duo where it was more about the two of them, the pressure they put on as individuals, you know, um, had that impact. But when you just think about two-man game, the two guys that play off of each other, Jokic and Murray might surpass Kobe and Shaq. They are lesser players, I think, uh, as two individuals. Jokic and Shaq, maybe they're comparable. Right now, Shaq probably a little bit higher, but we'll see what Jokic does. Kobe, by far higher than Jamal Murray right now. But when you talk about the interplay of those two guys, I'm telling you, even Kobe and Shaq did not have the consistent level of two-man game that Jokic and Murray have had. They just were better, they were better individually. And obviously they were better coll- like together. Won three championships, dominated um, for large stretches of that. But that's what makes Jokic so, so interesting to me, Jokic and Marie. To me, their next stop is the, the definitive duo of this generation. And I think that it is a possibility for them. So there's an interesting thing though, narrative wise here. The last part is I'll wrap up this section that one of these things have to be true: either Jokic-Murray duo is number one in the NBA, and it's actually silly to be asking it, or the Nuggets as an all-around team is just too talented, and we need to elevate the way we talk about Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter and KCP. Those guys need to be lifted up. And by the way, also Christian Brown and Peyton Watson and Zeke Naji. Like, we're saying oh, the Nuggets are just too deep, they just have too many players. Well, I don't hear anybody talking about those guys, but maybe we should. Maybe we should raise them up, or. Jokic is so far ahead of the pack that he single-handedly outduels duos. Now, I know nobody wants to give Jokic that. I've never heard people raving about Peyton Watson and Christian Brown and, you know, those guys. Bruce Brown got a lot of love, but all these other guys haven't really gotten that kind of love, including like, um, you know, Aaron Gordon now is getting some respect, but coming into the year, people were saying Aaron Gordon's not the difference in a championship piece or or this or that, or the Jokic-Murray duo is number one. I think it's that. I think the Jokic-Murray duo is just clearly number one. And I would say a little bit of Jokic is so far ahead of the pack that we're probably undervaluing or underestimating him. But one of those things has to be true. And I just think it's funny, the narrative knot that so many people have tied themselves in into where they're kind of contradicting themselves. Let's take a break. On the other side, an update on Jamal Murray playing for Team Canada and some closing thoughts on international competition. catching up on some comments here appreciate you guys when i do these salt solo ones it's hard to hard to always keep up let's see here i have a question adam do you think the nuggets should give bones highland and davon a championship ring i don't know if they'd want it um you know bones highland certainly i think probably wouldn't want it he's the one that asked out so you can't ask out and then say hey would you get me one of those rings i wasn't really a part of that would be weird. Dave Von, I just don't know if he really had that connection to the team to to warrant that so i kind of doubt it um so for me personally i don't think it really makes sense um it was reported yesterday that jamal murray will not be traveling with the team for these upcoming or will not be participating i should say in these upcoming exhibition games tune-up games for the canadian national team there are four i believe total and the first three he's already being ruled out for there is one more game. I think it takes place in Spain as a final tune-up before they head to. Um, I don't know if they're in Tokyo or the Philippines. The finals are in the Philippines, but I don't. There's some regional ones all, all there in the Pacific. And I'm not sure, you know, where where they'll be headed. But it was made clear to Murray and to everyone else that you needed to participate in at least one tune-up game for Team Canada in order to go to um, to participate in this World Cup. So Murray rolled out of three. There's one game he's TBD on. And if he doesn't play in that one, then he's not going to play in, in the competition. I don't know what this means for him. Like I, it, a couple of days ago, I thought, okay, there's some real momentum. He talked about wanting to play and this or that. And it just sounded like there was some real momentum, um, you know, some real momentum towards him playing. Now it kind of sounds like there's momentum for him not playing. So take it all with a grain of salt. We'll just have to wait. We'll probably know within, you know, two weeks or so, week and a half. But it did make me think like watching Team USA yesterday and then watching the timeline. Like I I don't, I'm a true basketball junkie. I know some people are just Nuggets fans. Some people are just Jokic fans. Some people love basketball. I really love basketball, especially the highest level. Like I don't really get into college too often. Although, of course, I enjoy the tournament and this or that. But I an average college game, I'd rather watch the NBA because to me, it's the best basketball players, and I just enjoy that level. And in the international competition, I've fallen in love with my trip to Serbia and following the Serbian national team over these last handful of years, really fell in love with it seeing what it means to people around the globe and then seeing the way the styles that the, that are played, I fell in love with it. So it was funny to me, To see people on the timeline yesterday looking at this through the lens of Team USA and thinking, well, international competition is kind of silly. The U.S. is clearly better when they want to be. They don't want to be all the time. So what's the point? And I always think. I've really learned this lesson over the years. When I'm criticizing something, it's important to ask, is this for me (laughs) or is it for somebody else or is it a shared thing of which it's not tailored tailored to my taste but which it like sort of fits in with some of my tastes. And I think that what I learned with international competition is for the NBA audience that doesn't pay attention to international, that only knows about international competition through the lens of the dream team, which is people outside the U S don't realize this. It's mostly how the U S like, I don't didn't know about some of these competitions in 98 and 2002 where the U S lost. Like I honestly didn't know about that. I knew there was a team in, I think it was in the Indianapolis one, which I think was 2002, which I remember hearing about because I remember my dad like laughing it off and being like, those bombs, I can't believe they took sixth or something like that. But it wasn't the thing that I knew like, okay, there's World Cup. In fact, I didn't know until last year when I went to Serbia that there were basically three main competitions. There's the Olympics, which of course I knew, the World Cup, which I've learned about in the last decade and a half. And then there is the regional championships, you know, the FIBA Americas. There's the Eurobasket, FIBA, Africa, and what have you. So now now that I know that there's these competitions and what it means to people, I find it compelling. and then on top of that, I find it compelling because the teams have really gotten good. There's good basketball schools around the NBA. I would love I think it but that most NBA fans, if they stopped looking at it through the lens of Team USA, did we send our best guys or is there something that, if you stop looking at it there uh, through that lens and start looking at it through the lens of, okay, well, what's interesting about this? Yes, it's different than what the Dream Team was or what previous, the Redeem Team or previous iterations. But what is going on in international competition and what are these teams, who's playing and this or that? I think people would fall in love with it so much that I would love for international competitions to become significantly more prevalent, even if it was at the expense of the NBA. And what I mean by that is I am not in favor of reducing the NBA schedule from 82, now 83 with that in-season tournament. There's going to be a couple teams that play even more than 82. But I would only be in favor of reducing it if it came at, we're doing that because the NBA has somehow partnered with FIBA or taking over FIBA to bolster this international tournament. That's how much I love them. That's how much I find them interesting. National basketball teams represent philosophies. Stylistically on the court, you see this like there's different ways teams from around different nations play, their culture plays into it. Previous generations have influenced the next ones regionally, so it's like, hey, we admire the Serbian teams of years past or the Spanish teams, and we're going to play with that flair or that style or that philosophy, culture, all those things, histories. But also, what I find interesting is the reformation of different national programs to me is very interesting, especially in this modern age. We look at the last 23 years. There are teams, and Team USA is in some ways the poster child of this, that looked at it and said, the values of our of USA basketball of the 80s and 90s are different from the values that we have in the years 2000. And now in 2023, you no longer have what the redeemed team represented. We have something different. If you look at the Reformation, First, it used to be we needed a bigger commitment. Then with the Redeem team, it was, how can we get guys into a program where they feel pride in doing this, but it limits the commitment they have to make in terms of the hours and wear on their body, but it ups the commitment in that we want multi-year you know, guys being together and building chemistry. Even that has expired and evolved into where it is now, where people are complaining, why isn't Steph Curry playing? And you know, why don't we just get all of the top American players to play? But what it's become now is like the next wave of young players, of great young players are playing. So you get a Tyrese Halliburton, an Anthony Edwards, a Brandon Ingram, um, Cam Johnson, you get this new wave. And why I like that is you can see stylistic generations of, of, if you go all the way back to 2008 with the Redeem team, you see what the LeBron, Wade, Kobe generation was. Then you see Kevin Durant and Derrick Rose and what that generation represented. And this new one represents another iteration of what USA basketball is or basketball in the United States. I find it to be a pretty unselfish, high IQ and fundamentally sound generation. When I watch these guys, they have good footwork. They can all shoot passing and they're not that many dumb players. You know, in years past, we've had great players, but maybe they were a little selfish or this or that. You see an evolution and it's represented in Team USA you also see that reformation in places like Spain, France, a different type of reformation. They're really pulling in a lot of talented players from all over the different French speaking um, countries as well, as well as obviously within France. Um, they have, it's, it's a nation of great athletes. So they, you know, they have their own reformation that they've gone through. And then you have teams that haven't quite gone through that reformation so far. I think Serbia is among this. I don't want to like beat that, beat that dead horse. Cause I've talked about this a lot. But I, that's what I like is how the culture plays into the style of basketball, but the culture can also play into the way the national teams organize themselves and grow or fail to grow. And in that way, I love it. I think it's super interesting. And then lastly, I do think that if you think about a basketball player, if you think about Jamal Murray, he grew up playing for a lot of different coaches on a lot of different teams, especially true in the US, at least in my generation. I'm a little less plugged into AAU and how it operates now that I've been out of it for 25 years or so. But oftentimes, players will go from one school or one city, then on an AAU team for a different coach, then change AAU teams at a certain point as they rise or fall in in the national rankings, then go to a different school and play for a different coach, then go to college and play for a different coach, and then go to the NBA and play for a different coach. And You know, there's kind of all of these little jumps. But oftentimes when you get to the NBA, either you're a journeyman and you're bouncing around a lot or you end up being in one spot. I mean, you think about Jokic has played for one coach for the last eight years at the NBA level, and then he's played in Serbia for a handful of coaches. Jamal Murray has played for one coach the last seven seasons, seven years of his life. There's probably no period in time where Jamal Murray has only played for one coach for seven years. This is until now. So the idea of him going to another coach, albeit a former coach and Jordy Fernandez, somebody who was on Michael Malone's staff, to me, there's some value in just these guys getting to hear different coaches, different philosophies and picking up from, you know, somebody new yelling at them and kind of instructing them. On top of that, it's completely different teammates and completely different dynamics. In Denver, Jamal had risen and grown to be one of the vocal leaders and obviously second best player and running mate, part of that dynamic duo. With Team Canada, is he the leader? Is he a follower? Is he the best player, second best, third? Does he have to take on a different role? I think those things are so good for players. Just the different dynamics, the different styles, and the different um, even social politics that they have to deal with, I think are part of the growth. So I love international competition for all of these layered reasons. And I think that when I see people, like I saw a take yesterday that said something like, I really wish they would make international competition uh, U23, meaning 23 or under Um, And get rid of it. And that, again, is an American perspective, because to an American, international competition almost means nothing. People don't even know they exist. And the ones that do don't really care about wins or losses or connect with the players or even to be quite honest, connect with their country. Team USA still feels like a them, not an us. Whereas obviously Team Spain or Team Serbia, I know to Serbians feels like an us. You know, it feels like this obligation. Um. But I think that they're just so fun and thinking, oh, I wish they would just make it U23. No, there's something very cool about a player representing his national team, representing his culture in some ways. Um, and through all these different years and trying to collect as many medals as possible is realistic. I do think the NBA makes it difficult. Training in today's modern age makes it difficult and different. And I think that that. um Fans should probably be a little bit thoughtful about the ways the world is different now than it was back then. And that goes for Jamal Murray and Team Canada as well. I hope at some point he does play for Team Canada, whether it's this year or in the future, because I think it would be good for him. But more than anything, I just think it's fun. And I think most basketball fans, if you truly love basketball, would actually really get into international competition, starting with the FIBA World Cup that does it for today guys um matt moore is going to be back with vic lombardi later in the week i believe thursday night you're not going to want to miss it vic one of my absolute favorite people on all of denver media and one of my one of the few people i call an idol absolutely a phenomenal guest i can't wait to hear what those guys have to say you guys should tune in as well thanks for listening see you guys next time